Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse number 14. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Romans 7, verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. That means fleshly. Sold under sin. For the things that I do, I do not allow. But what I desire, that I do not do. But what I hate, those are the things that I do. Verse 16. If then I do the things that I do not want to do, I consent to the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that am doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I cannot find a way. For the good that I would, I do not do. But the evil which I do not want to do, that I do. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no more I that am doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inner man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. I want to explain to you tonight the Christian puzzle. The most puzzling part of the Christian life is not how does God choose people before the foundation of the world while they are still free. The greatest puzzle is how can you be a Christian and a sinner at the same time? Did you know that the Bible calls Christians saints? That Greek word means holy one. If you are a Christian, then you are a holy one. But how many of you feel like you are holy? You probably feel like the man who wrote this passage. There's so many sins. Do you feel that way? He did too. You feel like you're fighting a losing battle. You feel like you're drowning in a flood. You feel like you're running in a race and everyone's beating you. You feel like you have a debt that you cannot pay. You feel like you're 
pushing a trolley through pick and pay, but it's a broken trolley and it always goes to the right. And you're fighting with it and then it hits the, it hits the, the display and knocks everything down. And everyone's looking at you and laughing. You get it up and you try to push it again. And you're trying to correct it from going to the right and then where does it go? It jerks to the... And then knocks everything down. And again, you are so frustrated. You try to pick things up. You're breaking bottles and you feel like that's your life. This man felt that way. Who is he? That's the first point of the sermon. The second point, how did he feel? And then some applications. The first point, who is he? Look in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but, what word comes after the word but? I. Follow that word I, or me, or my. Verse 15, how many times do you find it in verse 15? Six times. In verse 16, how many times do you find I or me or my? In verse 17, how many times? In verse 18, how many times? I see five in verse 18. Is it more than five? In verse 19, four times. In verse 20, four times. In verse 21, I, I, me. It's all through this passage. I counted and wrote down 48 times that it says I or me or mine. Starting back from the beginning of the chapter. The whole chapter. 25 verses, 48 references to this guy. Who is he? You know, don't you? He's the greatest Christian who ever lived. And this is how he felt. Do you feel like that? Then you feel like the greatest Christian who ever lived. Go back to chapter 1 and let's see who this great Christian is. Go back to Romans chapter 1. What's his name? Paul. What is he in verse 1? He's just a slave. That's the Greek word slave. I'm just a slave of Jesus. And this is what Paul does in this letter. In chapter 1, he explains the heathen people are wicked. Heathen people are people who do not have a Bible. That's a heathen person. Chapter 1, are heathen people good or bad? Bad. Bad. Chapter 2, what about the people who have Bibles? That's chapter 2. People who have Bibles are bad too. Chapter 3. Everyone is bad. That's chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 23. Who wants to read that verse? Go ahead, Colin, read that one. Caleb, 3.23. Who wants to read verse 11? Sunani, 3.11. 
one seeks for God? In chapter 1, it's the heathen people who are bad. In chapter 2, it's the religious people who are bad. In chapter 3, it's Vatuvote. So in chapter 3, look at verse 21. What's the first two words of verse 21? Uh, Mia Kony, what are the first two words in your Bible in verse 21? I think almost all translations put but now because it's so important to the whole book. But now. You see, we were sinners like that. But now things have changed. Everything's changed. It's all different. Starting from chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul is going to explain salvation. In chapter 3, he starts using the word faith. You'll find it in verse 22. Do you see the word faith and believe? It's one Greek word, one Venda word, one Songa word, but two English words. Faith or believe. So look for an F or a B. Not Facebook and not best friends, but faith and believe. Verse 22. It's again in verse 25. Do you see the word faith? In verse 26, do you see the word believe? Verse 27, the word faith. Verse 28, the word faith. How many times do you see the word faith in verse 30? Two times. There it is again in verse 31. If you go through chapter 4, you're going to find it 27 times. Do you think it's just me making up this talk about faith alone in Christ alone? Do you see where I got it from? I got it straight from Paul. The heathen people are bad. The religious churchgoers are bad. All of us are bad. But now it all changes with one thing. Faith alone In Christ alone. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 explain what I've explained many times. How you put out your hand and you grab Christ. And when you do, what are you giving him? All of your sin. And what is he giving you? All of his righteousness. That's chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 5 explains how you are united to Christ. Go to chapter 5. In verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered the world. We were all united in Adam. Your children know how to lie because of Adam. But look at chapter 5, verse 16. Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. If through the offense of one, that's Adam, many be dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. You see, you're united in Adam. That's why you go to hell. But if you're united in Christ, then you go to heaven. He says it again in verse 16, by one man, by one man. Verse 17, by one man, by one man. 
Verse 17, by one man, Jesus Christ. Again in verse 18, same thing. Again in verse 19, one man, one man, one man, one man. Everyone goes to hell because they are united to Adam. Or they go to heaven because they are united to whom? And what is the one thing that ties me, binds me, sticks me, glues me, welds me, fastens me to Christ? What's the one thing? What is it, Caleb? Faith in Christ. There's nothing else. No church, no baptism, nothing else. It's only faith. It's only Christ. It binds you. And something in your hearts is telling you, amen, that's true. You know it's true. Because I have no motive to say anything different. Because this message makes me unimportant. Do you see that? The message I'm telling you must be the truth because there's no other motive for me to say it. The message I'm telling you doesn't get me money. The message I'm telling you doesn't make me important. It makes me unimportant. If the only thing that you need is faith to tie you to Christ, then you don't need your pastor except as he helps you believe on Jesus. It's Christ. You know this is true because it's so clearly in the Bible. You know it's true because there's no other motive for me to talk this way. And you know it's true because there's something in your heart that right now is telling you, Amen, yes, yes, yes. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6. This is what people commonly say. Chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace can be greater and greater? Some people say this. If we're bound to Christ only by our faith, then why not skip church every Sunday? Why not buy big cars? Why not be very stingy and rude and cruel? Because God has enough grace to cover that. Chapter 6, verse 2. May it never be. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? You see, if you've really believed in Jesus, something happened that you didn't know. You died. When you believed in Jesus, a funeral happened. Someone died. Who died? Look at verse 5. I'm sorry, look at verse 4 just for the baptism. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into what? That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We died with Christ. Verse number 6. Knowing this, what was crucified with him? The old part of me. So that the body of sin would be destroyed. So that I would never again serve sin. Verse 7. Because the one who is dead is freed from what? I'm freed from my sin. So I'm dead. This is wonderful. I'll never sin again. That's the whole of chapter 6. You'll never sin again. Isn't that great? If you're a believer, you never sin again. But if chapter 7 wasn't in the Bible, 
a lot of people would stop being Christians. Because you can read chapter 6 and say amen in a church. But what do you do when you're at home and you just fell to sin again? You're trying not to drink and you just bought alcohol and drank again. You're trying not to be angry and you just shouted at your wife again. You're trying not to look and lust and you just saw that thing on the TV. You just looked at that picture again. You did that privately with no one watching and you feel like a child of Satan. And you look at chapter 6 and say, I tried it and it doesn't work. Dead? Not dead. I'm either an unbeliever, but how can I be an unbeliever? I put my faith in Christ. I did it. I believed and I'm still doing this stuff. And, and you go back and forth. Do you pull your hair out? Do you commit suicide? What do you do? Some of you have been there. I've been there. I have at times slumped down in my home. Against the tile floor with my back against the wall. And said, why can't I stop this? How do you explain that? We explain that because the book's not done yet. How many people stop reading before the book stops? Go to the next chapter, chapter 7. You see, it is true that if you believed on Jesus, your old man died. He's dead. But there's another truth, and this is the Christian puzzle. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brothers, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, so that you should be married to another, even to the one who is raised from the dead, so that we should bring forth fruit to God. Wonderful. I'm dead to my sin. I'll never sin again. I'm married. I'll always love my new, my, my, my new partner. I, this is wonderful. It's fixed. But it's not fixed. Because... Something else happens. Look at verse 9. I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. You start to read your Bible like Faith said this morning. She used to think, oh, I become a Christian. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't fornicate. I don't beat my wife. I don't beat my husband. I'm not stealing. I'm not murdering anyone. I'm a Christian. And then she started reading the Bible more. And she got to Romans 1 and said, what? Don't be proud? Don't even raise your voice at people? Well, I do that. And she thought, what is this? When she read the full law, she felt as if she died. How do you explain that? You explain it with this passage we read and that we're now dealing with. So the first question is this. Who's writing the answer is, it's Paul. It's the greatest Christian ever. He's a man who tells us about salvation. We're all sinners, but we're saved by faith. If we're saved by faith, then we cannot go on in our sin, because our sin is dead. But Paul doesn't stop there, because he's a wise man who knows human life. 
and human nature. It's Paul who's talking, and Paul does something wonderful. Some of you look at me and think, oh, I can't be like him. I'm not saying I deserve that. I'm saying that I'm guessing some of you look that way. You might forget that I've been a Christian for 30 years. And you've maybe been a Christian for two years. But I want to direct your attention here to Paul the Apostle. Who was a Christian for about 25 years when he wrote this letter. And look what he writes in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. What does carnal mean? Fleshly. Paul says, I, after 25 years of walking with Jesus, after having written the book of Galatians, the book of um, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, after written, not yet Ephesians, after writing books of the Bible, after being a great Christian, look what I'm doing. I am carnal. How would you feel? I've walked with Jesus for 30 years and I say, Paul, I know what you're talking with. Paul has walked with Jesus for 25 years and he says, I'm fleshly. I wish I had some way to cut the sin out of me. Do you ever feel like that? That's the way Paul felt. Look what else he says, verse 15. Do you feel this way? For that which I do, I allow not. I do not know. I do not want Keep going. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Do any of you feel that way? How many of you try to fast and quit? How many of you promise to evangelize and then stop? How many of you say, I'm going to read the Bible two chapters a day and then you don't? How many of you say, I'm not going to and then you do it? I'm that way. Who's talking? The greatest Christian who ever lived. Three times in the Bible it says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Who's the me? Paul. Follow the greatest Christian who writes, I'm carnal. Are you like that? See, the truth is, you are like that. But if you don't know that you're like that, then you're probably not even a Christian. The first point is this. Point number one, who's talking? Paul, the greatest Christian ever. Point number two, how does he feel? How does he feel? Look down at verse 16. If then I do what I would not, I agree with the law that it is good. But then, verse 17, it's not me that's doing it, but who? Who's doing it? I thought the sin was dead. Chapter 6. Didn't we just see in chapter 6? What is dead in chapter 6? Sin is dead. But in chapter 7, verse 17, what's doing the bad stuff? How do we explain that? What did I tell you the title of the message was? The Christian Puzzle. Sin is dead in one way, but sin is sinning in another way. How can you explain that? 
Oh, it's the terrible, the terrible problem of the Christian life. That we are saved from our sin, but not as much as we wish we were. Verse number 18. I know. What does he know in verse 18? That in me, that is in my flesh, there is nothing good. How many good things are in his flesh? Do you see that? Do you ever feel that way? That's the way he feels. There's nothing good in my flesh. I, I, I have this desire. The will is with me. I desire to do what's right. But how can I do it? I can't find the way to do it. Is that you? Verse 19. The good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. How does Paul feel? He feels like a wicked man. Some people think that Paul is writing about the time before he was a Christian. What do you think? Do you think Paul's writing about a time before he's a Christian? He's saying all this, Romans chapter 7, is talking about way disatuchiza. It sounds like that almost, doesn't it? He's such a sinner. Look down at verse 24. What does he say in verse 24? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me? Who can redeem me? Who can save me? Sounds like he's not even a Christian. But point number two is, how does he feel? And underneath point number two, there's three things that he feels. What's the first thing that he feels? He feels that he is... Not a Christian. He's wicked. What's the second thing he feels? Look at verse 22. What does he feel in verse 22? What kind of delight? It's a delight in something. He's delighting in what? Wait a minute. Do unbelievers delight in the law of God? Are they rejoicing in the Bible? Do they look forward to reading their Bible? Do they say yes to the Bible? This guy has to be a Christian. He feels like he loves the Bible. And what part of him rejoices in the Bible? The inside part of him. This guy has to be a Christian. Look at verse 25. What is he doing in verse 25? He's thanking God. Unbelievers don't truly thank God. And he's thanking God through whom? Right. And then what else is he doing in verse 25? He's serving who? The law of God. Do unbelievers love the Bible? In their inner soul, do they love the Bible? Because this guy does. Do unbelievers thank God through Jesus? Do unbelievers serve the law of God? 
Who is this guy? Is he a saved man or a lost man? Point number two, how does he feel? What's the first thing that he feels? He feels that he is wicked, sinful. What is the second thing that he feels? He feels the Bible. He feels rejoicing in God. He feels like he wants to serve God. What's the third thing this man feels? That's the first thing. Wretched, sinner, wicked, unbeliever. What's the third thing this man feels? It's in verse 23. Or you can guess it just from what we've read already. Verse 23. What's the word? W-A-R. Does your Bible have the word war or warring? Danielle, what does your Bible say in verse 23? War. Raise your hands if your Bible has war in it. That's it. The third feeling this man has is a war. I want to tell you, if you are a true Christian, you will feel a war. If you don't feel a war, you're not a Christian. Believers feel, I love the Bible, I thank God, I serve God, but I still sin, and as soon as I sin, it's a war. If you don't have a war, you're not a Christian. Point number one, who is he? Paul. Point number two, he's the greatest Christian ever. Point number two, what does he feel? He feels three things. Tell me the three things. What's number one? He feels like he is wicked. Number two, he feels like he is righteous. Number three, he feels a a war. Do you feel that way? This is actually message number 21 on humility. Christians should feel this way all their lives until they die. Paul the Apostle puts it in chapter 7, right after chapter 6. Because in chapter 6 he tells you, your sin is dead, you'll never sin, it's gone. You are a slave of God. You're not a slave to sin. But if you only had chapter 6, the first time you got angry after you made your profession of faith, you think, I lost my salvation. What happened? Chapter 7 comes to help us. The reason you still sin is because you are a Christian. Or the reason that you're concerned about your sin The reason your sin bothers you and hurts you. The reason your sin is a fight. The reason it makes you angry. The reason it makes you want to pull your hair out and wonder, am I even a Christian? I can't join the church. Can I take the Lord's table? I can't do that. I'm such a sinner. The reason you feel like that is because you have the Holy Spirit. And the fight is not over, it's a puzzle. Why does God allow this to go on? 
Why doesn't God take this away? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, I can see why sin is there before I became a Christian. Because I'm not a Christian. But once I believe in Jesus, why doesn't he make me perfect? Have you ever wondered that? Have you? I thought that sounds like a question you would have thought. Have you ever wondered that in your heart? Here's the answer. It's very simple and it's very important. And the answer makes the Lord Jesus Christ more glorious. Or it demonstrates his glory. You actually can't make him more glorious. He is as glorious as he can be. We can only demonstrate the glory that he has. Why doesn't he stop all of our sin immediately? Here's the answer. And this is what I hope will help you in your Christian life today. He doesn't take the sin away because every single time that you are in the fight and you choose righteousness over sin, it's one more demonstration of the beauty of Jesus. If he took away the fight, we would take away a lot of demonstrations of the wonder of Jesus. He lets the fight go on so that constantly Christians would be fighting. And sometimes they lose. But often, more often than they lose, they win. If you are a Christian, I could say it this way. A Christian is a person who wins with his sin more often than he loses. You're going to lose. You're going to fight. You're going to lose. And some of you fell today. But. If you're a believer, it hurts you, it cuts you, it drives you, it pulls you. You've got to change. I've been trying to change this for 10 years. Well, maybe you haven't been trying with the power of the Holy Spirit. And even if you have been trying with the power of the Holy Spirit for 10 years, you're going to keep going because the one, listen to this verse, Philippians 1 verse 6, the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day that Jesus comes back. If you're a believer, not only is the war inside of you, but Jesus promises that he will keep giving you ammunition, guns, bullets, weapons to fight in the war and to win if you'll just pick them up. He lets your sin stay so that as long as you live, you can keep beating your sin and demonstrating that he is more glorious than sin. Applications. Number one, Christians should live in a constant state of humility, repentance, and self-loathing. That's in the Baptist Confession. It's number 58 in the books, 57 in the books. Section 15.3 in the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. By faith in Christ, we humble ourselves over our sin with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and self-loathing. Self-loathing. To loathe is to hate. That's not the only feeling we have toward ourselves, but it is a biblical feeling toward ourselves. 
We hate the part of us that goes on sinning. We wish we could cut it out. We are like Jesus, who when he says, if your hand offends you, do what? If your eye offends you, do what? Do you feel that way? I still feel that way. I still wish sometimes when I sin, oh God, if only I could cut off my hand and have the sin be done. Of course Jesus was not telling you to cut your hand off. He was telling you, if it were possible, a true Christian desires that he could rather cut his hand off if he'd be free from his sin. No one's telling you to cut your hand off. God's telling you, you should do anything. Take drastic measures if it will help get rid of your sin. I've used this example before. Spiwe came to my house late at night one time when I was at Elam. He took his smartphone and he said, Pastor, please take this. Whoa, what's wrong? I keep looking at bad pictures, but I want to be a Christian. That's Romans chapter 7 right there. Isn't it? Pastor, I want to be a Christian. What do I do? I've got this thing and I keep looking at pictures. I can't stop. Well, actually, he did stop because he gave me the phone. He was fighting. And that night I thought to myself, Jesus looks beautiful. And all the angels who are watching are rejoicing because Piwe Mahungu chose righteousness and Christ over sin. Application number two. If you have fallen to your sin, don't give up. Even if you have fallen many times. Repent. Confess. Get up. Repent. Confess. Get up. Are you able to see your child growing? Not really. You're used to them. But what happens when you take your child to see the relatives who haven't seen the kids in, say, two years? What do they say? Ah, 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 buckle. Don't they say that? It's still odd to me. Because I still remember adults saying that to me when I would go visit them. And they say to mom, oh, little Seth is so big. And now they say it about my kids. Oh, yeah, I guess I hadn't realized. Especially since I sometimes don't see them for four years. When they go back four years, that changes a lot. The kids are so big. You don't see the way you're growing, but if you're a true Christian, it happens just like this. You grow, then you fall. Then you grow, then you fall. Then you grow, then you fall. Then you grow, then you fall. And what do you see? You only see the times that you've fallen. But now you're here and you used to be here. And the Christians around you can see the growth. So application number two is this. If you are trusting in Christ and believing Christ and resting in Christ, but you're not perfect, join the church anyway. If you feel the war in you, you want to fight with your sin, we'll take you. We take fighters. We don't take couch potatoes. We don't need any more couch potatoes. We need soldiers. We don't need armchair quarterbacks who sit in their 
chair and watch the game. We want players to get in the game. We need workers and soldiers and laborers. We don't need watchers and bystanders and cheerleaders. If you're ready to be a worker, a laborer, and a soldier, come. And don't wait anymore. Because Romans 7 tells you, keep fighting the war you're going to slowly conquer. That's what he says in verse 25. I offer you those two applications today from this passage of scripture as a very important message on humility. The greatest Christian who ever lived after nearly three decades of following Jesus Christ wrote Romans 7 and 48 times he talks about himself and most of it is bad and the whole world is reading how bad Paul is and he's our example he felt wicked he felt righteous he felt what at war war. And so the application is very simple. Go on that way yourself. Don't speak well of yourself. I should look at you and always look at the victories. You should look at yourself and keep looking at the failures. In in that sense, I, I mean it in this way. When you fall to sin, remember it and repent and confess it. I'm not saying if you tried something in business and you failed, if you, if you got lost your job. Not, don't, I'm not saying that. Keep thinking. What I am saying is, if you sin, keep humble. Stay humble. Remember, I'm just a sinner. But then remember that Christ loves sinners. He saves sinners. He dies for sinners. This is the greatest Christian, and he was a constant sinner. Comfort yourself with that. And then application number two, go on. When you fall, get back up. Run to Christ and with Christ and with the believers. Strengthen each other's hands. Don't be tired. And when you come to prayer on Thursday nights, pray just for this. Pray, Lord, help me not to fall so often. We'll pray that with you. He'll answer that prayer. Maybe you won't even be able to see it because it'll be just like your children's growth. But pray that way. Those are the two applications. Keep humble. Hate yourself in your sin. And number two, keep going. Keep confident in Christ because that war will be won when our Lord Jesus returns. Let's close our eyes.